Simon Dingle. Hello, Sam. How are you? I'm I'm good, Sam. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, are you back? Are you back in the Fair Cape? I am in the fairest Cape, Cape Town, the f- and fairest uh, of all of them. Mm-hmm, I'm here. It's it's fair. <laughs> How are you, Sam? Dude, I'm wonderful, thank you. We um we shouldn't say anything about the fact that it's been so long since we last did this because we We're do that every time. We're just not going to do that. It's kind, yeah. it's kind of boring and and so what, right? <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about other things instead. Um, so, uh, you were telling me about this great new book on oxytocin that you were reading. Wow. Yeah, let's just get let's just go straight let's in there. Let's just hoy. Yeah, why, what are we waiting for? Um, <laughs> a book about oxy... Oh, The Moral Molecule. Yes. Paul J. Zak. Yeah, well, I've just started the book. Uh, I was telling you about it the last time I saw you. We should maybe... Hold on. Wait. Uh-uh. Uh, Sam's just come back from America. Maybe we should mm-hmm. just maybe we should just mention that we we've spoken I, I about went, this before. You <laughs> were in America with the with the Americans. We had a, we had some challenges because uh, the internet in America is mm, touch and go. Sometimes they have it, sometimes they don't. Um, <laughs> and you got to meet the president of the galaxy. We've spoken I about did. this. All, we have spoken about this all before. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's talk more about exciting, oxytocin. More go. exciting though than than and this is related is that I got a huge hug from Michelle Obama. She's mm-hmm. a hugger. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Well, more exciting and that's kind of than relevant. all of that is that you came back. You came home, <laughs> Sam. You returned to us, and that's fantastic. It is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's just move on to oxytocin then. Why not? Okay. So this book is called The Moral Molecule. It's called The Moral Molecule. <laughs> it's by um, Paul J. Zak, who's an interesting guy because he used to – well, he started out as an economist uh, and then became what he calls a vampire economist because he started drawing people's blood. Um, I want your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, sucking it all out of the system. No, he, um, he, be- he, uh, he became a vampire economist because he started drawing people's blood because he realized that, you know, for the longest time – uh, we thought of the economy as being underpinned by a system of uh, trust and rational self-interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get guys like Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky come along. Uh, and you might have read Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, and, and they won a Nobel Prize basically for proving that this whole system of trust and rational self-interest was more like a system of, yeah, sometimes trust definitely not anything rational (laughs) so wait so was this vampire economist basically going out there and like sucking people's blood to prove that they can trust nobody Mm, no (laughs) because that would be a better story but so anyway so so kahneman tversky won a nobel prize for proving um that the you know the science of economics is not so much science as it is bullshit uh, and everybody basically sees them win a nobel prize doing this and then just continues as if they never did Mm. um but this human being, uh, Mr. Paul J. Zak, he realizes that he's studying the wrong things in economics. What he should be studying is the chemistry involved in uh, trust and mm. a little bit more about our irrational emotional decision making, which is mm. what's really going on. And this leads him down a road to oxytocin um, and a pivot into biology. And, um, and he soon learns that this peptide, which for the longest uh, time scientists just thought was behind reproduction um, oxytocin mm. is like the horny hormone um, that actually there's more to it than that and that and that this chemical uh, basically controls our trust as human beings mm, mm. Uh, and then you wrote a book about it and That's so really here cool. we are 
I find it so amazing how all of these big words that we use to describe the most human of human experiences, like love and trust and bonding and mate and whatever, and, and things like joy, all of them now people are trying to ascribe particular chemicals to, you know, which is also obviously oversimplified. Like oxytocin is not just the love chemical. Um, but there is also something exciting about, you know, finding the turtles all the way, all the way to the bottom. And, right. you know, everything is, everything is chemistry. Um, even the biggest words that we have for our experiences, we could we could rather be talking about oxytocin. I think that's part of what the age of reason is about, Sam. Like mm. we, you know, if we spent a lot of time thinking that um, our intellectual and emotional selves were somehow divorced from our organic beings. Mm. That that was a popular idea for a while, um, but it's just patently not true. And science has shown us exactly how not true that is. And it's kind of obvious that anything going on. Uh, in your body, including the things you're feeling and thinking about, are governed by the same chemistry that mm. you know controls everything else. I and find it really interesting. Sorry, I mean, just on that point about how also very different types of interactions and relationships that we have in the world are all governed by the same chemicals. So, oxytocin was called oxytocin because it means in Greek it means something about childbirth, um, and because obviously that's one of the things that floods. You were telling me about this the other day uh, that like floods a mother's system when she's giving birth, but it's that same chemical that also is involved. You know, it's the thing that floods women's bodies after orgasms and makes you want to like cuddle up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the thing that makes you trust your boss or not trust your boss or trust someone that you are thinking about making a deal with or not thinking about making a deal with. That's kind of um, freaky. It's kind of freaky, but that mechanism mm-hmm. of bonding is, you know, it, it's the same thing. You know, so apparently the mammal that has the most of it or that they found are like prairie voles, which are like super monogamous and very social social mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it's like a social, social inclination chemical um, mm. that applies to so many different types of things. Well, the interesting thing, well, you know, why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because once you understand how things work, you can manipulate them and put them to work for you. And, <laughs> and, and you can of, suck all the blood. <laughs> and one of the interesting things that Paul Zach talks about in this book is that if you... Um, so if you reciprocate trust or if you expose yourself uh, as somebody who needs somebody to trust them, um, mm. you kind of get exponentially more back than you put into the equation. Um, mm. And also, uh, and this is something that I think it was Benjamin Franklin was famous for, when you ask somebody uh, for a favor, for example, when you expose yourself um, and you look a little bit vulnerable, um, people immediately begin to trust you. Um, mm. And, you know, this is no surprise either. Anybody who's uh, fallen prey to con artists on the street of a popular tourist venue uh, will have experienced this. They always come up to you and, and tell you that they're in trouble, that there's a crisis. Because or, the, or the 419 scams. You know, it's never just, hey, I need money. It's like, I am the lost princess of the ancient race of blah, blah, blah. Right. And I've been stranded in Nigeria. You know, yeah. Yeah, so that's using oxytocin for evil. Because what, what happens is when somebody comes to you with a crisis, oxytocin levels start to peak in your brain and mm. elsewhere. And this makes you more trusting of that person. Um, I think it's called um, social, social memory, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But what I find interesting is, like, if, if, we, if we look at how this relates to work, for example, um, you can be incredibly manipulative by making yourself seem vulnerable, um, mm. by asking your colleagues for favors. And actually, if you look at the most successful people in your office, one of the arguments goes, you'll find that they're the people who ask for favors the most, not the people who do the most things, necessarily. Mm. 
<laughs> which is uh, which is kind of interesting because that's kind of uh, I think I think a lot of what being a boss is about is being really good at asking people for favors. Sure, <laughs> hmm. that's kind of interesting. So you're kind of making yourself appear more vulnerable. Um, it's kind of like how the baby gazelles get adopted by the tig- tigresses, you know. Um, totally. Because they're cute. They're cute and helpless. <laughs> yes. And oxytocin spikes and trust goes off the chart and then you give hmm. more than you receive. That's very interesting. Well, um, it is kind of interesting. And could and, be used um, for good or for God evil. Thank God we found a reason to talk about this, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting anyway. Um, I was reading about how um, – so at the moment, the, the most popular way to administer sort of synthetic oxytocin is through a little nasal spray thing, which is kind of a weird idea, like injecting trust into your nose. I mean, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, and they've been trying trying this out um, as a as a treatment for autism and people who generally struggle to um, you know struggle to bond with other people and and also people who who sort of have sort of antisocial behaviors in general. Um, and one of the funny side effects that they've found, which is also very relevant to business, is um, that when they do this. Um, they find that people become much more generous, but they become less empathetic to people who are not like them. So one of the things that oxytocin also does is it also kind of by bonding certain people to you, it also, it creates pack, you know, like these people are in my pack, in my wolf pack or whatever. Um, but other people aren't. So, I mean, that's kind of a funny thing as well. Um, and, and one of the, the, the sort of more negative things is that oxytocin is one of the, the, the sort of biological things that supports in-grouping. Um, you know, like these are people like me and other people are not like me. Um, mm. So, and, and that's kind of this weird downside as well. And kind of like by taking certain people into my fold and being protective over certain people, you're also implicitly saying, you know, who am I excluding? Uh, which right. is kind of twisted and interesting. Right. By whitelisting, you're kind of blacklisting yeah, automatically. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Mm. So, you know, by, by choosing to side with this vulnerable person, there's always that vulnerable person in the office who's always telling you a sub story about their life, you know, um, right. and asking for favors, as you say, um, you know, and automatically by becoming protective over that person, uh, which is kind of that instinctive response, I think, um, you are also aligning with them against something else or Aha. against other people. You see, I see what the you're saying. The forces of evil in the world, and you're creating a pack because we're freaking animals and we need a pack. You know? But it, it, it also it feels like one of those things we need to overcome, right? Like totally. Like this animal instinct. So there's the famous experiment of uh, the kindergarten school kids, uh, and what they did was. You know, the year started out just like it would anyway, and the kids all made friends, and they all got on pretty well, etc. And then halfway through the year, they made half of the kids come to school wearing blue t-shirts, and the other half of the class, like just randomly assigned, coming to school Ooh. wearing, uh, did I say blue already, or did I say red? Anyway. You said blue, so the other ones are red. The other ones are red, right. <laughs> They're red with the <laughs> color of I? blood. Um, the blood of vampire children. And they did this rigidly, so like every day from that point on, the kids would come to school with whatever their color designation was. And mm. after a week, they had to stop the experiment because they had separated into two teams, red versus blue, and it started assailing each other. It, you oh, know, my God. That is the most depressing study I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> right. And also just feels so true. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, like with oxytocin and what it does to our trust and decision-making, it mm. basically makes it possible uh, for you to manipulate it and cause people to make some really bad decisions for the wrong reasons. And so wow. I hate... 
like it's it's this weird thing where most of your biology seems to just exist there to be, to be overcome. Yeah. Um, because, whereas I, mean, I just want to submit to the flow and like just go with it. <laughs> Scientists telling us that you yeah. should be you should be aware of these things going on in your cranium and you should try to co- you should try to find ways of uh, of of not behaving that way. So Absolutely. you know when somebody has come and asked you for a favor. Um, you need to really unpack what's going on because mm. most people who ask for favors a lot are in tune with what's happening uh, and they're building little economies around themselves. And I, mm. I have a friend who you know as well, so I won't go there, but um, I have friends who do this and and I don't know if they're aware of it or if it's just something that they're doing de facto, but they build mm. these little economies around themselves where everything is about what I've done for you and what you need to do for me now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which just doesn't seem like a very satisfying way of conducting yourself. No, absolutely. I, like I remember, um, you know, first year ethics at university, um, and we were talking about the feminist critique of um, of you know various contemporary moral theories, and as one you know does. that as one does. <laughs> And there was, I mean, the argument is an interesting one. And they were saying, you know, all of the, 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 the ethical theories that are generally studied as part of the canon are all about a trend towards cosmopolitanism. So a trend towards treating all people equally, even if they're people very different to you. And that instinctively uh-huh. feels like that is what we should be doing, of course. Like you should care as much about starving baby X on other side of planet as you do about starving baby Y that you see every day on the street corner. Um and we should try and you know move beyond our own limits and and you know the, some feminist writers were kind of trying to reclaim like maternal ethics and that sense of um like looking after your kin as being the most you know the place where all ethics begins like all moral feeling begins from preservation of people like you um and and you know when when we're flooded with oxytocin and we're bonding with people and trusting people and accepting them into our pack um, they become part of the realm of people that we we care about protecting and we care about their interests, um, but that doesn't seem good enough. Like it doesn't seem it, that doesn't seem ethical. It seems like something that we should, as humans, be trying very hard to move beyond. Mm. Yeah, altruism is probably the trickiest thing of things to talk about, right? That and consciousness. Mm. Like there's that, yeah. th- there was that other famous story of the guy who was standing uh, at the at the trade station with his two daughters, uh, and somebody fell onto the tracks. And without thinking, he jumped onto the tracks, covered this human being while the, the train went over the to- top of them. The guy was having an epileptic uh, fit, the one who fell onto the tracks. Sure. Um, mm. Train went over him. He survived. Obviously, a hero was on like every major news channel in the USA. Um, mm. But when he was asked why you did this, he didn't say because I felt sorry for this guy and wanted to save his life. He said mm. it's because I didn't want my two daughters to see somebody crashed by a train. Mm, that's interesting. Is it? Or is it, it kind yeah. of obvious? I suppose it depends how <laughs> cynical you are, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Because that's still Absolutely. altruism, just not towards the guy about to die, uh, you know. Well, I, no, I don't think I'd call that altruism. Because okay. I think as soon as you're protecting an interest of your own or your own pack, you know, your own kin, um, whoever, you know, ha- is included emotionally in that mm-hmm. definition for you. Um, you're acting self-interestedly, you know. I mean, you know, that's that's like, you know, ethical egoism, the idea that we we can never actually, you know, even when we think we're doing something altruistic, generally we're actually doing it because, you know, it's mm-hmm. good for us in some way. Mm-hmm. Generally, when we do someone a favor, we're doing it because we, you know, we understand that favors come back around and you're building social currency, Oh man, it's depressing though. It's too thinking about humans Sam. like that. How, yeah. How, yeah. How do you? How do we stop this? 
How does, this, how does this end in me drinking more wine well, and hanging out with my friends Well, first what we need to more. do is we need to suck all the blood from all the babies. Mm, yeah, it's not going to fly. <laughs> I'll get marketing on it, but I just, mm. I don't know. This might be beyond them. Maybe. Well, you know, for me, I think you can't, as, as you say, you've sort of got to, you talk a lot about, you know, the elephant and the rider, you know, of our brain. Was that a low-flying um, airplane? It is. I'm sorry. I have this super fancy microphone that you bought me and it picks up everything because it's amazing. Are you at an airport right now? I wish I was at an airport flying to Morocco. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm in a flat in Bramfontein. Okay. You're um, in somebody's flight path. Yeah, clearly. Um, so, I mean, you were talking, you, you talk a lot riders. about the elephant and the rider. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, how, do I talk a lot. You do talk a lot about mm-hmm. the elephant and the rider and about other things, and it's all splendid. Um, and, you know, the idea that our kind of base instincts are this huge elephant and the rational brain is this tiny guy trying to ride it. And the, mm-hmm. the tiny guy riding the elephant can, you know, direct the elephant, but only if the elephant doesn't have something else that it wants. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I think this is one of those situations as well where you, you can't fight your chemistry. You just have to game it. So, and I think one of the ways to game it is, um, is deliberately building empathy. And I think you do that by, through stories and by having conversations with people who are very different to you mm-hmm. um, and trying to expand the scope of who in your mind is in your pack. You by know, flipping the script. Of, of, yeah, flip the script. But you see, that, that, that troubles me as well because as human beings uh, living bullshit narratives, we're able to mm. tell ourselves stories that make anything okay. Yeah, and also true. And, and, and what makes things fundamentally of okay, Maybe uh, there is no objective okay. Ma- mm. Well, that's kind of a statement of the obvious. Hey? Like okay is, is uh, a relative thing. Hmm. 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 I don't know that it's helpful to think about these things, Sam. I find it very helpful. At least, you know, at least the next time that lady who, who you work with, who's always got a new sub story, comes to tell you her sub story and ask for a oh, favor, you can one. be conscious. Oh. <laughs> that, that one. You know the one. Yeah, she Sometimes comes it's again. a guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it's, he, it's that, oh, that guy. Yeah. They're so really coming annoying. to suck your blood. Uh-huh. Why can't he? Do, he is. He. They do. They are energy vampires. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm also now from now on going to think of them as gazelle doe eyes that want to be looked after by your inner tigress. Manipulating um, empathy is a. It's a bit of a skill, I reckon, Sam, because you're constantly on that line between um, trustworthy, needy person and really mm. annoying. <laughs> Uh, complaining person but this is why ceos make the best or psychopaths make the best ceos or vice versa both ways (laughs) psychopaths who are that i mean that's that's what psychopaths do is they manipulate they understand how to manipulate um you know social responses and it's probably more conniving than it is smart right (laughs) maybe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah interesting bonding and oxytocin Hmm. which makes me wonder how you know in like these new trendy flat organizations that hipsters try to build and fail miserably at like the one that i'm living in currently in Bramfontein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is it a uh, is it a, a, a co-op uh no well it might be i don't know i'm not actually renting. do you grow I'm vegetables uh there are vegetables on do some you have a beard <laughs> i'm working on one every mm-hmm. day i i rub beard oil into my chin and i i hope i hope do you I make apple sauce <laughs> Are there many Do sandals I have a fixie involved? 
do I have a fixie? Mm-hmm. Um, I do have an owl tattoo, so I already have already have half of the hipster points that You're I need to go there, full baby. hipster. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> tell me about your co-op. Oh, it's great. It's 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 actually not Bramfontein. It's it's Newtown, um, but you know it's kind of the same it's thing. A good place for a um, co-op. Yeah. Um, it's trendy. It's, um, you know, there's, uh, there's that wonderful building in Newtown that's made out of old shipping containers and, uh, like granary mill things. No, I, I, I don't do know. Not, farmy, farmery like things. Idea. Well, yeah, that's next to my building. So okay. my building is not that building, but mm-hmm. it's in the same neighborhood as that building. And it's, it's a really sort of mixed, young, trendy, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those, one of those. Do you think anybody <laughs> who found this conversation on the internet would care? Maybe. I think um, they would. I think it's interesting that such places are exist in far-flung places in the world like Joburg and mm-hmm. such amazing so there's no art boss. and music is coming out of it. There's no boss. There's no boss. Of, oh, there probably is a boss of the apartment building. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a but true co-op. But there's no boss of the co-op. <laughs> there's always a boss of the co-op. It's there's a never, secret. There's no co-op messiah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All followers, no leaders. <laughs> Yeah, followers maybe. of the dream. Mm. What are we talking uh, about again? Uh, I don't know. Oxytocin. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about do oxytocin. Know, do you know what I find quite funny as well? Is Most that um, very funny? I find everything funny. I, the universe is an endlessly hilarious place. Uh-huh. Um, I find it funny that oxytocin. Um, and all of those like love juices. Okay, that sounds pornographic, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I know exactly actually, what you mean. They actually, they actually, oxytocin as an example. Those things actually help you heal more quickly. Of course, like, they, they do. They help your wounds knit, and it lowers inflammation. It's like, have you ever read Arx and Crake by Margaret Atwood? I have not. It's one of my favorite novels of all time, and it's um, in it's it's kind of post-apocalyptic futury. Um, and in this post-apocalyptic future, a mad scientist tries to engineer a slightly better form of humans. So he, through gene slicing, taking out the best traits of certain animals. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he takes out is he takes out um, from cats um, the fact that humans can purr and they can kind of like purr mm-hmm. on each other. And when they do that, it stimulates the release of these kind of bonding chemicals, and that's how they fix wounds. Okay, but is this is not a true story. Adorable. Okay, that's not a true story, but it is a true story. It is totally true that oxytocin lowers inflammation and helps you heal more quickly isn't that crazy that so if crazy. you are if you are not loved you will be more sick and you will survive stab wounds less well well that so, makes sense from an evolutionary perspective because people who don't survive stab wounds very well have little to contribute to the gene pool <laughs> especially in Johannesburg. So if no one loves them then they're not worthy they should just die <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> it is quite harsh, but you know that's how the stuff evolved. Um, yeah, you yeah. know we we uh, our common ancestors with lobsters, from what we can tell, uh, were pretty nasty crustaceans uh, who would attack each other <laughs> on sight. And were it not for something um, that eventually became oxytocin, uh, not much reproduction would have happened. Just a lot of sure. st- face stabbing and dying. Although, I mean, it also might sea. be totally by accident that oxytocin has both of those effects. Uh, it's probably the, the whole thing's an accident. That's the problem, Sam. <laughs> That's a great conundrum we find ourselves with. Yeah, it is all an accident. It was all one big glorious accident. <laughs> <laughs> it continues to be an accident every day. You know what? I don't. I'm starting to feel like that's not a useful question, though. Like that's what? not a useful observation that it was all a random accident. Like yeah, yes, totally. you know that's the human brain's way of explaining. No, it. sure. But, but yet my here point we is... are with this uh, conviction that everything is very important. 
No, no, and that's fine. But my point is, I think when we're talking about evolutionary stories of things, we've just got to be careful that we don't make them just so stories. You know, like how did the leopard get its spots? You know, you can make up any story that kind of fits that outcome. Well, isn't that and the I Zen way? It just, yeah, totally. But because the, le- the leopard has spots, <laughs> you know. Yeah, just but go. sometimes, yeah, the you're leopard does in, have spots. You're getting in between that's, me and my rice right now. You know? That's more interesting. <laughs> Why is the sky blue? Because the sky is blue, and I'm here because I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Um, now rice. Now rice. Now rice. <laughs> but the thing is, In I abundance. mean, sometimes sometimes genes have dual effects um, and sometimes all particular chemicals have dual effects. And sometimes those things are legitimately related. Well, and like sometimes oxytocin, they're actually not. right? Because it's a neurotransmitter <laughs> and it's a um, steroid, uh, no, hormone. Hmm. Would be cool if it was a steroid as well. A hormone. It's a hormone. A hormone. And, mm. uh, and sometimes it's a neurotransmitter. I don't know mm-hmm. what that means. But how sounds. do you make how do, how do you make hormones? No, uh, how do you make a hormone? This is one of my dad's jokes. <laughs> like I can't even I can't even finish that. How joke. do you make? Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I get it, I Sam's dad, and also this explains a lot about uh, yeah, my about dad how humor. Sam ended up being who she is today. <laughs> anyway, okay, you can uh, give me the punchline later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so tell me, did you find unrelated to oxytocin and trust and manipulation and all of these and vampire economists, uh, is there a thing that you found uh, recently that is exciting and the world should know about? Mm, that isn't a video game. It could be a video game. I don't see why it can't be a video game. I'm still playing Destiny. We haven't spoken about Destiny on the show, but I think it must be the most fantastic um, thing ever for shooting other things in the face. Cause that, <laughs> what? Oh, oh, it's a game. Okay. You run around, you shoot things in the face, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, you do so with other people. It's uh, splendid. I don't need to say more about that. And, of course, we'll repeat the name of the book, The Moral Molecule by Paul J. Zak. You should read it if mm. you haven't because it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I've just started um, a tome about uh, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So when I'm done, that can be next. Is it called When I'm Done? No. Oh. Should, should I be reading that one? No, but it sounded Chinese. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you wanted to talk about? Dudush, no, uh, not at all. Um, what did you I want told to talk you, about? I told you yesterday actually about the thing, <laughs> the new thing in my life. <laughs> it is very exciting for me. Uh, the um, boy. John Green. Well, the boy. But also... Oh, um, John Green. John Green. John Green who John is Green splendid. is not the boy. No, I wish. Jesus. I kind of wish so too. <sighs> yeah. I, I hope the other boy doesn't know about our wish. <laughs> He might not be so happy. <laughs> John Green. Anyway, we're talking about John Green. John now Green, who is fabulous and writes a very profound young adult novels. I, do, I mean, I don't even know why you have to call them young adult novels. They are just, they're just good novels about humans. Um, but he also, he and his brother Hank have had this project for years on YouTube um, where every day they make a YouTube video for each other, just about whatever's on their mind. And it's very sweet and similar to how this Aww. thing that we do is just you and I calling each other because we need an excuse to talk to each other. Mm. Um, it's kind of that for them. Um, okay. But they're, they're very beautiful, these, these, um, these videos. As are ours. At ours are, and make me very happy. I don't even care if they make anyone else happy. Oh, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, the two of them, John and Hank Green, um, I think it was through a grant from YouTube or something. They've started making these beautiful, very high production quality series um, that teach you subjects, but they're like introductory guides to various things. So there's a, a biology series and a psychology series. My favorite is the one that one of the ones that John Green does, um, which is it's called Crash Course world history 
And there are these fabulous little like 10 minute videos um, that take you through the whole course of human history. And they're very balanced and they're funny. And so they're great to watch as little fillers while you're waiting for the water to boil or something. Um, As one does. If if you have the world's slowest kettle. Um, You know what I mean? They're they're just great time fillers and, and they're fun and you learn. And he talks a lot about the Mongols. So you should watch it just for that. For the discussions about Mongols. Yes. Because those are amongst my favorites. Because they're freaking cool. Okay. I'll I'll totally check that out. Yeah. It makes me very happy. Mm -hmm. Fun and educational. I've also been listening to Slate's working podcast. um, Oh, is that the new, the one called Startup or something? No, I think it's just called Slate's working. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. They had one with uh, John uh, Corbett. Is that his name? I don't know. I'm bad at this. I don't know about pop culture. Stephen so. Colbert? <laughs> <laughs> we could we do have access Colbert. to the tubes that go to the hive mind. We could go check. <laughs> okay. So Slate has a new podcast. It's about uh it basically asks people who you may care about uh about um, what their working day looks like, which sounds incredibly mundane. And I think nine out of ten times it is. Um but uh some of them are really interesting. I mean, that sounds excellent. Yeah. Um, Lifehacker has a similar series called How I Work, um, which are these little short interviews with, you know, interesting people. And, yeah, it sounds like it would be pretty similar. They ask them, like, you know, what are the tools that you use in your day that you can't live without and what time mm. do you start working? And hmm. So mm. Stephen uh, Colbert is an interesting one. Um, and they ask him all about his day, which when you listen to what Stephen Colbert's day, you know, is like, um, it it. You'd imagine that Stephen Colbert pretty much has the life, right? Mm. Um, but when <laughs> when you hear him give you the rigmarole, it sounds like anything but. Um, you know, his his day literally he he's, he says his workday starts the night before when he goes to bed uh, and mm. reads through the scripts that were prepared for the next night. Um, wow. You know, to to make the Colbert report, uh, which has been going for so long. He's been doing this. Mm. For, he had basically has not had a life outside of the show for. <laughs> Like, I don't know, two decades. and Yeah, and it continues to be funny. Yeah, and mm. and so, you know, his, his working day starts the night before. He, he goes to sleep thinking about work. He wakes up. While he's still in bed, he's going through news stories. Um, he's reading briefs that were sent to him by his producers. Uh, he's starting to think about the scripts for that night's show. Um, mm. You know, on the way to work, he's driven to work so that he can, you know, start diving straight into script work. And he talks about the character that he has to become uh, to do the show because it's fundamentally different from the character that's working on scripts and writing and putting mm. together content. He needs to flip that and become the guy who actually walks out and hosts the show, um, yeah. who conducts the punditry, I think he calls it. And mm. um, and you listen to just how exhausting his day is to bring the show to bear. Uh, and and it makes you it makes you really not want to be him. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting podcast, so I'll throw it in there as well. It's just called Working. It's by that Slate. does sound very cool. It's hosted by David Plotz. I know this because I'm reading it from the internet <laughs> right now. I was telling you um, the other day. So w- one of the things I, I had the distinct pleasure of doing um, and was a total fangirl about when I was in New York was um, sit in on one of the story brainstorms of the Radio Lab team from WNYC. Um, and I find it so interesting because uh, Jad Appenrod and Robert Crowich were in the room, and of course you I was like, met "Oh Jad my Abenrod. god!" I know. I nearly, I nearly Did died. Did you touch him? 
No, that would have been weird. Um, <laughs> no, not if you were like shaking his hand or or you like know, engineering or a just weird punching hey, him in the shoulder and going, pencil? "Good job, Ace." <laughs> no, I was trying to. I was trying to be cool, you know. Um, and failing miserably is generally happens when I try to be cool. No, um, no, but it was it was amazing. But what was so interesting about that and kind of resonates with what you're saying about Stephen Colbert, like, is they have this enormous writing team um, behind them that do is they're doing a lot of the research and they're preparing a lot of the stories. But even though that's happening, Jad and Robert are are such a part of that process and are ultimately the sort of personalities that bring it to life. Um, so they have to be connected to the research right. process, even though they don't drive drive it completely. Mm. Um, and that, that I don't know. That's that's really interesting. Like the idea of you have these big teams behind people who produce celebrities or kind of characters, um, and but those individuals that you see are actually carrying so much into the world that comes from this huge group of people behind them. Right. Yeah. Um, and those teams are wolf packs, damn it, and they trust each other. Loop. I prefer just, you know, Skyping with you and talking about stuff. <laughs> it's kind of great. As if I know all about it. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe maybe we would have super fancy shows if we had a huge team of researchers. I'd quite like a giant team of researchers, but not for the show, just for my life. Like, mm -hmm. like, hey, Minion, go research a thing and tell me the answer. That would be pretty great. I would like being uh, handed a brief before I did anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, funny that seems like a good idea mm, good well, idea in life alright Sam okay let's chat again soon please okay let's uh, talk on the internet again soon okay uh, uh, stay oxytocin and needed mm -hmm, I'll try <laughs> um, and not make any decisions in that condition but maybe uh, <laughs> drink something okay alright Sam <laughs> alright Simon goodbye goodbye Thank you.